The Risks of Premature Tightening, September the 16th, 2010. Mervyn King, the Governor of the Bank of England, is among the world's most influential central bankers and leading policy economists. I greatly admire both his intellect and his integrity. Mr. King has also played a big part in persuading the UK's coalition government of the urgency of what he calls, and I quote, a clear and credible plan for reducing the deficit, end of quote. To his great credit, he has just said this to the Trades Union Congress, the most unfriendly audience he could find. He went on to say, and I quote, I will be shirking my responsibilities if I did not explain to you the risks of failing to do so. End of quote. Indeed, he should say what he thinks. But is he right to think what he does? I have my doubts. That will come as little surprise to those who read my endorsement of points made by Ed Balls, former adviser to Gordon Brown and current Labour leadership candidate, two weeks ago. I am more fiscally hawkish than Mr Balls, as I said at that time, but I am not as hawkish as Mr King. Yes, I agree, there are risks to cutting the fiscal deficit too slowly. However, there are also risks in cutting it too fast. Similarly, while there are risks in not having a credible plan, there are also huge risks in having an inflexible one. The UK needs an adaptable plan for fiscal cuts, one that takes account of the huge uncertainties that result from the current fragility of the private sector. So what is the core of Mr King's argument? It is that, and I quote, market reaction to rising sovereign debt can turn quickly from benign to malign. It is not sensible to risk a damaging rise in long-term interest rates that would make investment and the cost of mortgages more expensive. The current plan is to reduce the deficit steadily over five years, a more gradual fiscal tightening than in some other countries. As a result of a failure to put such a plan in place sooner, some euro area countries have found to their cost a much more rapid adjustment being forced upon them. End of quote. I have argued before that the UK is in a very different position from, say, Greece. It has a far lower ratio of debt to gross domestic product. It borrows in its own currency. It has the means to promote its own recovery, which is vital for managing public debt. It has a modest current account deficit. It has a history of managing its public debt well. And current indebtedness is lower relative to GDP than the average of the past three centuries. Markets have also been remarkably relaxed about funding these deficits. Interest rates on index-linked gilts have been 1% or less for more than a year. The yield on 10-year gilts has remained below pre-crisis levels throughout the crisis period and is now just close to 3%. And spreads over German bunts have been 1 percentage point or less throughout the crisis. The government does argue that borrowing costs have recently been contained only because of its commitment to austerity. In fact, spreads over bunts have been stabilised since February and fallen by just 0.2 percentage points since the election. This suggests that the coalition's strong fiscal stance has brought but modest credibility gains. What would have happened if Labour had won, we cannot know. 
None of this would matter if the risks went only one way, from a failure to tighten rapidly. But this is not so. The danger on the other side is that the economy weakens sharply under a structural retrenchment averaging 1.6% of GDP a year over five years. This will be bad for output and jobs, but it would also offset the structural fiscal tightening with a cyclical loosening. The UK would have to run to stand still. Consider what we do not know. How much of the 10% gap between actual GDP and the extrapolation of past trends is permanent? How big an impact another slowdown would have on potential output? How the private sector will respond to the fiscal tightening and how effective any monetary policy offsets will turn out to be? I am astonished by the certainty people feel about all these uncertainties. As Andrew Smithers of London-based Smithers & Co. has noted, one possible, even likely offset to rapid fiscal tightening will be a collapse in corporate savings, or, in other words, profits. In the context of a sharp fiscal tightening, with interest rates already at rock bottom, that seems a far more plausible outcome than a surge in corporate investment as a way of achieving the needed reduction in the corporate financial surplus, which was 6.1% of GDP in the first quarter of 2010. Why would such a profit collapse be a good thing? It would be far more sensible to make plans for fiscal retrenchment that are explicitly contingent on how the economy recovers. Should growth remain at or below 2%, cutting spending should be far slower, or alternatively, there should be offsetting cuts in taxation, perhaps in national insurance contributions. If growth rises above this rate, cutting can then be accelerated and fiscal offsets reversed. Such a flexible plan would ultimately be more credible, not less. It is quite hard to convince markets one is prepared to commit political suicide. The Chinese say that one should cross the river while feeling the stones. When we know as little as we do now, that sounds excellent advice.